morning it's from John 2 verses 13 to 22. When it was almost time for Jesus' Passover, Jesus went up into the Jerusalem. In the temple court he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of the cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remember that. It was written, zeal for your house will consume you. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in the three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. So, how are you? No, really, how are you? How are we? Also, not just to the people here in this room today, but those of us part of our community that are, are not here today but are listening um, in a few days' time on the internet. How are you? How are you doing? And perhaps everyone here would like to say a big hello. Hello! hello. <laughs> Just so that you know that you are still part of our family and we are thinking of you today. Um, it's been a bit of a week, hasn't it? To say the least. The back drop of my life as I was preparing this sermon, I always leave it a bit to the last minute, is the fact that I'm a nurse and I manage um, a local frontline health service in this kind of this community. So every time I sat down to um, prepare this sermon and to think about it, the government changed a detail in their response to the coronavirus and I ended up spending another evening rewriting policies and sending out emails to explain to staff and other members from the service what measures we were going to be taking and what we were going to do and reassuring worried staff um, about what's happening as best I could. Although I've spent a lot of time reflecting on Jesus clearing the temple, I have made some connections to the challenges and concerns that we have at this time because I couldn't really escape them and I guess probably most of us are in the same situation. Um, as we enter into this stage of, of history, really. So, let's think for a little bit about Jesus in the temple. This account of Jesus clearing the temple that we heard this morning comes from the beginning of the book of John, chapter 2, directly after the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine, which is considered to be one of Jesus' first recorded miracles. The accounts of Jesus clearing the temple in Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
are much later through the books and considered to be later in his ministry. A time when the Jewish leaders were becoming angry about Jesus and plans were afoot for him to be killed. And we often think about this story in the run-up to Easter as part of Lent. There's some debate about John's version as to whether Jesus may have cleared the temple on a number of occasions or whether John had moved his account of the record um, of Jesus' of life. Um, hang on. There's, some, there's basically some debate about whether John had moved his account of Jesus clearing the temple to a different stage in his life um, because his book is much more about theology and using... Um, using different elements from Jesus' life to, to show different, different points and different perspectives. Um, and it's not necessarily the most accurate chronological account of Jesus' life. It doesn't matter which way you interpret this, but the evidence does suggest that at least once, and possibly on more occasions, Jesus caused a disturbance and cleared shaders and money changers from this outer courtyard area of the temple. To me, that's always been much more of a challenge. If you discount this narrative, what kind of characteristics do we associate with Jesus? For me, kind, friendly, a leader, healer, compassionate, teacher, humble. That's just a few of the words that I just thought of in a really quick brainstorm of myself for myself. How does this account of Jesus being confrontational, creating a whip to free the animals and overturning tables, fit with our constructs of who Jesus was and what he was about? I remember when I first heard this story as a child, being shocked by Jesus. And yet, throughout the Bible, we are told how Jesus, how, how God became man and that Jesus lived a truly human life where he experienced all the feelings and experiences that we do. God tells us later in his account how Jesus wept when he found that his friend Lazarus had died. In this situation, we see Jesus being angry. If we can move on to the next slide, that'd be great. Anger is a strange emotion, isn't it? One, I more often associate with times when I've got things wrong. When perhaps I've overflowed with a negative feeling about a person or a situation. And this emotion just overspills until I say or do things that are unkind or judgmental. All too often, that anger is true about me. Or has been about me. Justifying myself as right blaming those who have got in my way or challenged me. Anger is a strong emotion, isn't it? And yet, it is a healthy, normal human emotion. And perhaps that's the way some of us even feel a bit now. For anyone who works in healthcare or has studied psychology in the past, you may have heard of Kubler-Ross model for um, grief, the grief cycle, the process it talks about the different stages of grief and loss and talks about when we go through the process of grieving, um, we generally experience different stages, stages of sadness, denial, 
acceptance and anger. Probably not in that order, but we can go through this cycle and, and different people go through it in different orders, but they generally experience most of those things. Some people will experience more of a certain phase and some people will, will experience less of a, another different phase, but they're all normal and they're normal accepted kind of ways of responding to a, a big event in our lives. Sometimes people, when they don't deal with grief and loss very well, or when they're finding it really hard, get stuck in one phase and they can't kind of move on to the next phase. And that's, that's when people really start to, to experience problems with that. And it can be really hard. But anger is a normal and healthy dimension in our life and our experience as humans. But it is a strong emotion. We tend to get immersed in it. And it can be an emotion that is emotive and twists everything to become something very selfish. However, Jesus' anger is very different. His anger stems from his passion for his father. His desire for people to base their faith totally on God and not on a building or traditions. Jesus saw corruption and abuse happening within the walls of his father's house and made it and it made him angry. But that anger was not selfish or unkind, but centered on Jesus' passion for God and for all people to be able to access God at an equitable level. If we move on to the next picture, I hope it's not too dark. I think it's okay. When I googled pictures of Jesus clearing the temple, I quite liked this one. I imagine the scene was pretty chaotic with animals escaping and doves flying away, liberated perhaps and free. I imagine there was a lot of noise and confusion as Jesus turned tables and questioned people's integrity. But I also see these figures. You see those shadowy figures right at the back of the picture? I've got no idea who they are. I don't know as much as I'm sure some people do about this picture. They might be traders that were trying to keep out of the way, keeping a low profile, looking on, but trying to avoid Jesus' direct gaze. However, I also wonder if they are some of the people that have been excluded from the temple, those who could go no further, the unclean, lepers, the blind. The list goes on. When questioned about what gave him authority to turn the temple upside down, Jesus' answer was, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. At that point, no one understood the relevance of what Jesus was saying. Um, but Paul tell, sorry, John tells us how the disciples reflected on this and realized that Jesus was referring to his body as the temple after he rose from the dead. We are told how Jesus died. When Jesus died, the curtain that is in the temple, in the most holy place, was torn in two, opening the way for all to reach the most holy place. Jesus is the way to God, not the temple. Jesus opens the way for us all, man, women, and children, 
clean or unclean, to enter into an encounter, a relationship with God. So, moving forwards 2,000 years to us today, what does that mean for us? On one level, I really see a challenge. Jesus challenged the status quo around the temple in Roman-occupied Jerusalem. He questioned whether practices that were considered a part of Jewish life, Jewish religion, were truly centered on God. He referred to his body as the temple rather than the building. Today in society, there is a lot of fear, a lot of vulnerability to the coronavirus. Do we need to reconsider how we worship? We have guidance from the diocese about um, not shaking hands during the peace, um, just generally not taking hands. It's perhaps easy to think that we have our traditions and our ways of worship that are special to how we've always done it. And so in some way, beyond guidelines that perhaps feel a bit impersonable and a bit bureaucratic, bureaucratic. But if we focus on Christ and his love for the most vulnerable and the way he challenged religious tradition, I feel quite strongly that we need to protect the most vulnerable amongst us. So yes, using hand gel and doing elbow bumps and doing the sign for the peace may feel odd, but it demonstrates our love, our care, our compassion for each other. We are truly displaying love, our care, our compassion for God by being Christ-like and walking in his footprints. If we go on to the next picture, I don't know, Quite a few people might have seen this before. It's been on social media for a while. Um, it keeps popping up from time to time for me. And it's, it's, it's a picture that I really love um, about the difference between equality and equity. I've seen, I, I think we all overlook the needs of others from time to time. And so often I feel that our goal is equality. If we make sure that at least everyone's got the same amount... Then, it, then it's okay. But in life, sometimes some people need a little bit more to be on the same level, to have the same opportunities. And I believe that through Jesus, we are all entitled to equity. It's like he's the ramp that allows the person in the wheelchair to be able to see as clearly as the tall person. I wonder if there's any way as Christians we can be Christ-like and helping that to happen in our society right now. If we think about perhaps our shopping practices, having just spent yesterday trying to find some, or last week in Germany, trying to find some alcohol gel for work because NHS supplies didn't have any. We were down to two bottles and we resorted to the supermarkets, which also didn't have any. And other things that we could perhaps do to be Christ-like in our communities right now, without hopefully putting ourselves at too much risk. 
but how can we reach out to people? Could we do shopping? Could we make meals? Could we find out where that need is? If we're stuck at home, could we pray? Can we support people virtually on the internet, just sending emails, writing letters? In these days of uncertainty, how we feel, however we feel, be open and honest to God. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. And it's okay if you feel pretty level-headed about things. We're all different. And God knows that we all respond to these times in very different ways. But through that search for God in it all, let that light reflect out to others in their doubt, illness, and uncertainty. Be kind and know that we are all in God's caring, loving, gentle hands. I've just got a song, if there's time, that I wanted to share with you all. It's, I've got a CD, that, an album that um, I've had for some time, and it's got some really wonderful music for different phases of, of life. Um, and I really recommend it. But I found this particular track that I just thought was possibly really helpful for us all at this time that's quite tricky. There's a red moon going down behind the hill Baby, turn out the light and Open up the window to the breeze You can just make out the sound of waves As they roll in through the night Rolling in from anywhere they please well, This world won't give everything you Chase that moon out over and beyond There's no need to worry There's no need to fuss The one who made the rolling waves Is watching over us the sun, the moon is gone, just the stars are shining now, as weary travelers are making the late drive home, like birds that fly away to somewhere warmer further south, no one wants to be out in the cold, when this world leaves you tired in space are holding on to us, on to us, on to us. 
We thank you for your great big hands and your even bigger heart. We thank you that you will carry us and that you carry us now and you will in the days, weeks, months ahead. Be with us all, those of us who are here, those of us from our family who are listening and those from us from our family who aren't listening but are still with us in our hearts. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit. Fill us all with your great big love. Help us to go feel weary, but invigorated by your love, by your passion. Help us to stand out with your remarkable passion of love to make a difference out there in the world with all of its challenges and all of its fear to be a true light in the darkness. Amen.